podcast episode 17 of our second season here and it's a new week dennis so it's time for another kings of the podcast absolutely jay let's do it man well we're coming to you today from the andreas lilia studio and that might be a name that's familiar to kings fans of recent years um he didn't play very long in la he played different parts of of three seasons but uh the tie-in here to lilia is he was drafted in the second round 54th overall by the kings back in 2000 and uh about 10 or so picks prior to that our guest today, Jared Stoll, was selected by the Calgary Flames. Uh, and what's interesting, DB, in case you don't know, is that Stoley was actually drafted twice. So in right. 2000, Calgary selected him at pick 46. And then a couple years later, Edmonton drafted him because he never ended up signing with Calgary. And so he went back into the into the pool, if you will. And Edmonton selected him in 2002. Uh, and what a great second round uh, that was for the Edmonton Oilers in 2002. They took Stoley at 36 and Matt Green at 44. Those two players uh, ended up being packaged in a trade for Lubo, who ended up going to the Oilers. But uh, yeah, Stoley was drafted twice, and uh, we'll have to talk to him about that when he's on the program today. Just look, John, that was a cornerstone trade for the championship years, without question. I mean, there were some other great trades, but that one I think certainly a cornerstone one as well. Well, it was really one of the trades that helped set things up. I mean, people can point to the Mike Richards trade or they can right. point to the Jeff Carter trade or different things that may have put them over the top and allowed players to slot into their respective uh, positions. I also uh, have talked in the past. I, I believe that the, the signing or trade, uh, I think it was a signing of, no, it was a trade for Ryan Smith was very significant right. uh, because it was the first time that they brought in somebody really with a winning pedigree that was trying to push the, the, the group of youngsters, but in terms of bringing in leadership and establishing the core and teaching the younger players how to win and what it means to be a member of the LA Kings, they're nobody more important than Jared Stoll and, and Matt Green. And for, for all of the praise that goes to Dustin Brown as the captain of the team, uh, we've talked about it many times in the past. Stoley was kind of like the unofficial captain inside the locker room as well. So a lot of leadership coming from Jared Stoll and Matt Green. And you want to know something funny, Dennis? Yeah. Moments before we uh, hit the record button here today, Drew Doughty was doing his afternoon Zoom call. And I just found it interesting that uh, he was asked a question about sort of leadership and who did he try to model himself after. And he mentioned Matt Green only because I just thought it was ironic given the timing of it because Greener was going to play, uh, you know, a part in today's uh, episode here uh, talking about the not only the name of the studio, but also some questions lined up for Jared Stoll as well. So Matt Green is the person that Dowdy said that he goes to when he has leadership questions, which I thought was interesting. You know, I think, John. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's because he's producing better or the team's playing better. But I think there's, while the passion hasn't left Drew, I think the outbursts, the really over-the-top emotional stuff, and maybe because they haven't played Calgary and Matthew Kachuk, but I think <laughs> this season he's really not really gone after referees or outbursts and friendly box after he thinks what's a bad call, even on the ice. Now he's going after players. He's chirping guys for sure. But I think those outbursts, I really haven't seen any. What do you think? No, I would agree with you. And it's funny because, again, back to the Zoom from this afternoon, Daryl Evans was the one that poised the question to him and was just asking about, and I'm paraphrasing the way that the question was asked, but it was about the maturity in his game that we're seeing now compared yes. to years before. And Dowdy did say, hey, look, every, you know, I, I think everybody was in his head is what he was trying to say. He was, he was saying that everybody kept telling him he's doing too much, he's doing too much. And then he felt that he took a step back and was trying to change his game last year. And his quote was, and I had a shit year. And so, you know, it, Again, I think Drew is just one of those players that he's so special, he's so unique, and um, 
you can't really teach or tell him what to do. You, you try to sort of harness it. And right, I go back to right. something That's John Stevens said. Harness it. Exactly. Yeah, because I go back to something John Stevens said many, many years ago, and I think it was during training camp, if I remember correctly. And he basically said, you never want to dim the light that is inside of Drew Doughty, right? And that's exactly what it is. You, you don't yeah. want to try to tell him or teach him how to play the game differently. He's just naturally talented at playing the game. But the past year and having time off, and again, he referred to it. We probably just should have uh, pulled some audio clips, DB, but he referred to it today saying, hey, look, there were things that I could work on during the last 10 months, you know, but we weren't allowed to have a lot of players on the ice. And so I was doing things. But the question that, that, that uh, Daryl Evans was asking him was, just about, uh, you know, did he have time to reflect? And I think perhaps that's maybe, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm sort of connecting the dots. I think that's what happened, Dennis. I think that yeah. he matured a little bit by reflecting Great. back and thinking about, okay, what worked when I broke into the league? What worked when I was having success under Daryl Sutter? What worked when I had success under John Stevens? You know, what didn't work last year? Because he really likes Todd. So what wasn't working and then how can he come back and be a different player this year? And, you know, off ice maturity takes place as well, Dennis, when you get married and you have kids and you just you start to reflect and change from being the wild, crazy guy that you were when you were, you know, 18, 19, 20. Uh, there's some maturity there. You know, John, it's like balance, right? That's all we all everybody tries to find balance in our life. And I think Drew really has done it. But again, like better performance, better team around him. Um, that certainly helped, but I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's a certain level of maturity to Drew's game this season over the last couple of seasons that's really benefited the team. And and final comment here, just maybe it's a little bit of recency bias. I know that's Mark Yannetti's favorite phrase, but uh, a little recency bias because we just hung up the phone with, with Dowdy. Um, I thought one of his answers was very interesting because he didn't answer the question the exact way that I expected him to. And after you've been covering a team, Dennis, for so long, you can almost predict what sure. some of the guys are going to say. But he was asked, is this uh, team a playoff team? And, you know, he gave all the stock answers of, you know, hey, if you're not coming to the rink to, you know, try to make the playoffs, then what are you coming to, you know, for and, and all that stuff. And he, and he acknowledged that they're in the middle of retooling the roster and all that stuff. But then he said something. He said, I'm not going to tell you that we're a playoff team right now and i thought that was interesting he was very clear and specific yes and he pointed out and he almost sounded like a coach when he said it he pointed <laughs> out we have a lot of work still to do and i thought isn't that what mcclellan ends every press conference with was yes <laughs> we have a lot of work left to do this year um, maybe so, todd got through to him jay <laughs> and that's and that's why dennis this all sort of ties back together is it does sound like uh, a more mature uh, you know, yep. Drew Doughty. So uh, very, very interesting comments, I thought, and always appreciate talking to Drew because he's going to give you gold one way or the other. And um, he just seems to be a, a little more thought provoking this year than like you, I think you said, emotionally, emotional outbursts earlier. So uh, it's been fun stuff. It's been good, DP. Absolutely, Jay. Now, uh, look, there's some stuff going on over at the fourth period right now. Uh, you want to talk about that yeah. for just a quick yeah. moment before just we a couple move of on? Yeah. Couple of bullet points, Jay. So a promo for tomorrow. I'm going to co-host a power play with Steve Coolius on Sirius XM 91 from noon to three Pacific. So if people want to tune in, I'm sure we'll touch on the Kings as well as all the other stuff around the league. And then GFP has a new video channel. Um, I think mm -hmm. especially today uh, where the latest video was me and Dave Pagnota, we devised a hit list because late last week, Darren Drager came out with a report that Kings are looking for a, a dynamic left, uh, left side defenseman. Um, so we put together a little bit of a hit list. Um, if people want to go to, to Dave's Twitter account or the TFP video, um, a YouTube account, you can check it out there. So it's very interesting. I'm sure you, you'll tell me that this is not trade chatter. Like, cause I know Jay, you've already talked about trade chatter online today. This is a hit list that if they were to make a big deal, who do we think would be the best fit hit for this? So don't come at me and say, Hey, they can't trade for this. This is if they decide to pull the trigger on some big one, because what John Hoven's favorite word this year, the season context, this is, context. <laughs> this is about if they had their druthers and they could pull a deal, who would it be with and within the age bracket that they're looking for, which is under 25. So you can either head over to Dave's account or my account or the TFP uh, YouTube account and check it out. And see, Dennis, I think that is a very worthwhile conversation. If people want to bring trade rumors, oh, I think the Kings are pursuing this guy, or have you heard about this trade rumor that so-and-so said? Then to me, that's right. where I just, you know, I, I, I tune out very quickly because we've already gone on record and said it. And Dennis, we've checked with all of the key sources with inside the organization. So uh, it's not just like speculation on our part. We feel pretty confident when we say the Kings are not looking to make a trade of any significance. Right. 
during this season. Now, that being said, yes, they are in the market when the timing is right. And this is not the year that the timing is right, but they are in the market for that lefty. And Dennis, because the we talked about this in the last program, because the ask is so specific, yes. it's not just like, hey, we need help defensively. No, that's not the statement. It's like we need this type of defenseman. And and the, the deeper you go on the on the list, the more specific the ask yeah. gets. And therefore, I think that your your topic and I haven't looked listened to it yet, and I will. I think that your topic becomes more relevant because you start looking around the league and going, OK, not today, but at some point in the next, you know, whatever, right. six to 18 months. Would this player fit that target? Would this player fit that? Well, what about this player, right? So, yes, I think that's a, a very you mean they're not offer. trading for Ryan Graves, John. <laughs> they're not. They're not. Um, they're also not trading for Jack Eichel. And right. uh, you know, insert name here. They're also not trading. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned his name, but uh, I'll, I'll give you one. If they were to go to Buffalo, uh, I don't believe that Darlene fits the spec as much as Ristolainen does. So I'll leave you with that. Okay. Well, that that. You, you're right on the first name, not the second name. So we can discuss that at some point later. <laughs> All right. Well, my sources compared to your sources. We yeah, will, we will have to, we'll have to compare notes, That's which, is always, which is always fun. Absolutely. Hey, we didn't get a chance on the last program. Uh, I would just appreciate a quick follow-up on the trip to Tahoe sure. because uh, just, I mean, the optics, I mean, it looked absolutely beautiful. Uh, yeah, it was disappointing that, you know, things got pushed into the evening and starting at midnight you know, Eastern time or whatever. But um, just in, any quick final uh, wrap on, on the trip to Tahoe. Okay, yeah. Well, let's go to your favorite place, the Hard Rock Heart, uh, Casino and Hotel um, in Tahoe, where I stayed. When you go to the – and they have a center bar there, John. It's not the legendary center bar in Vegas. But when you go there, you – and we're in Nevada, right? We're not over the state line in California. Um, when you drink at a bar, you have to take off your mask, take a sip, and then put your mask back on. Mm. And, then take, and then take another sip and put your mask back on. Right? So I'm trying to devise a mask with a hole for a straw in it. So that, was, that, was, that, that took away a lot of the enjoyment of being at the Hard Rock that night. Uh, the optics of the game were amazing. Yes, it's a shame that, that the sun... And here's the thing, John. When I woke up on Saturday morning, it was 26 and overcast. I go, this is going to be perfect weather. Right? And then I forgot that like 305 days out of the year, Tahoe has sun, and it was just right. too much. The players would have kept playing, but referees falling down, Landis Gog falling down. It was the wise thing to push it to 9 a.m. That 9 p.m. The thing about playing at 9 p.m. at night, John, you don't get the mountains and you don't get the, uh, the lake. But it was so quiet, John. It, it was it was unbelievable. The optics were amazing. It was so quiet. So it was like playing a game in Florida in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> they, they used to ten percent <laughs> capacity, but it was amazing. But and you and I have talked about this. The reality is, this is probably a one-off because when the NHL wants to play outdoor games, they want it in front of 60,000 fans. They don't sure. want you know twelve media. And, and, you know, Eddie Olchuk and, you know, doing the play-by-play -play with uh, uh, Mike Tarico. Like, they, they want Batman big crowds. Around in, <laughs> Batman walking around in jeans, looking <laughs> like he's going to 7-Eleven to pick up milk, and he's doing, like, a 30-minute interview on, on national TV. And NHL outdoor vests with him and Bill Daly. So it was amazing. It was, it was great optics. The, the, the second game was even better because the sun was still, was still up for an hour, so that was kind of cool. But it was just... To be there, you know, you and I, John, we're adrenaline junkies. We go for events, and that was an amazing event. I'm glad I got to go there. Um, it did get a little chilly standing out there. And the way they did it with media was um, they had a platform, a riser, where only 12 media at a time could go. So you could go up there for, like, one period, and then you go back to the media center and watch the game on TV. So it wasn't like we were out there the entire time. But to witness that, the way they built it, it was they had people on kayaks and boats out just on the shore of the lake. It was amazing. It was fun. But I, I do think that it's probably one of the maybe the canal in Ottawa. They've talked about playing trying to play a game on the on the in front of parliament, which would be kind of cool. But other than this, I think they're just going to go back to big stadiums, outdoor games going forward. Well, the the head of Live Nation uh, came out here over the last 24 hours or so and said that um, large scale music festivals will be back in full swing with a minimum of 75% capacity in most states uh, by July. And they're expecting to be near 100% capacity by the end of the year. So while he acknowledged that there might be a few holdout states, 
Um, His point was that the majority of the country, the majority of North America, for that matter, uh, that they that in in and obviously they're very well connected in talking to, you know, local governments uh, across across North America. But I thought that that was a pretty bold statement for him to make. So you do have to start to think ahead to next season. And um, while, you know, who knows, maybe 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 a stadium game in California wouldn't be possible, uh, like at the new Rams stadium. Um, which there has been some discussion about the Kings in Vegas playing an outdoor, um, maybe even a home and home. We talked about that on a previous one. Mm-hmm. And I know WrestleMania was moved uh, from, well, after it was postponed, then it was going to be next year. Now it's two years out. So they're guaranteeing that WrestleMania will be in Texas next year uh, just because of the lighter restrictions. So my point was, while maybe an outdoor game might not be possible in California next year with fans at this point, uh, in many other states, it would be possible. So, you know, they, they should be able to, they being the NHL, should be able to return to a winter classic next year and, and possibly even yeah. a few stadium series games. Yeah. And let's get people back at Staples. Let's go, Jay. Well, you know, hey, that's that's the politics here in, uh, in California. We are seeing that uh, fans were already back in the seats. Limited capacity, of course. Fans are back in the seats in Arizona, and uh, there were quite a few Kings fans, according to people that were replying to us on Twitter during the series last week, saying that they were over there in Arizona to watch that series. And then Vegas just reopened starting yes. today. So uh, I think they call it the Fortress. So they're at T-Mobile in uh, in Vegas. The Golden Knights are going to be hosting fans, and the Kings will be in Las Vegas. I think it's March 26th and 27th or 27th, 28th. It's right at the end of the month in March. Uh, and it'll be very interesting. And, you know, um, Madison Square Garden is open. So New York yeah. is open. So yeah. uh, things are trending in the right direction, Jay. So I think by the time we get the next season, uh, hopefully things will be back to normal with the new vaccine, J&J. You see the stock market going crazy today. Um, so, yeah, I think things are trending in the right direction. And the hope is that uh, we'll see some of our fans not hopefully uh, sooner than later back at Staples. Bob Miller received his uh yes that was, a, that was fantastic yeah so so the world is is trending in the right direction if bob miller is being taken care of then everything is headed in the right direction you know uh dennis i don't know if i heard this from mcclellan or if i heard this from um uh, dave roberts it was and i'm sorry just because with uh, spring training ramping back up and everything getting going there i might be sure. confusing the two but somebody had just made the comment recently it was a coach who was talking and was saying, hey, look, having players back in the in the buildings, it's an adjustment. I think it was Roberts. I could be wrong. But he was saying basically, look, that the players, they first had to come back into empty stadiums or arenas. Uh, and then uh, when players were started or not players, excuse me, when fans um, then were allowed back in, but with limited capacity, because it, it wasn't like they were allowed back in to be completely normal. Oh, mess, so right. when you have like 25 percent capacity. The comment was that the players had to go through a second round of adjustments. So the first round was to play in dead quiet buildings. And then the second round was to play in these buildings that had fans, but it didn't have the same sort of level of noise and everything. But um, according to this uh, coach or manager, uh, the players definitely noticed a difference in the energy level, even with having 25% people. Yes. and, and the players were responding to that and saying that they had a different level of sort of nerves going into the game, uh, even though the capacity was held to 25 percent. I thought that, that was an interesting sort of observation. Well, look, when Ranger fans come back into MSG, they're nuts anyway. Right. So you got to think there's a there's a higher level of energy. But it's it's an adjustment. It's like but it's like a, it would be like an exhibition game on steroids. Right, John, because the intensity of regular season is there. But the, the tendency is probably like a a preseason game. So I, I certainly think there is a period of adjustment. And then obviously the Kings, when they play at home and there are going to be fans back in the middle and there have to be a period of adjustment. Cause I agree with you. We're not going from zero to hundred. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess maybe what we should do is ask some of the Kings players that have been around for a number of years um, about playing some of those scrimmage games at TSPC, where you, you play a black and white scrimmage game. You go the whole summer really of just playing whatever shinny and doing whatever. And then uh, the first week of camp, you're playing a black and white scrimmage game. And there've been years when they've put a thousand people into TSPC. That's very different than for the 12 people that show up for a practice in the middle of a week on a Wednesday. Sure. And I'm just curious if they, if they feel any sort of a difference, you know, sort of in that environment. Now it's time for rain rehab on Kings of the podcast. Hey, real quickly, Dennis, we're going to bring Jared Stolen, talk to him right. uh, during the second period. We'll, we'll recap some of the Kings road trip and and talk about the upcoming week in the third period. But uh, a few brief mentions on the Ontario rain here, uh, because obviously fans on Twitter, uh, if you know nothing else, are starting to um, 
get a little restless, yourself included. The team is, has not won. Uh, well, they've only won one game so far. And the series that they just completed in San Jose over the weekend, heading into it, it looked like a good opportunity for them on paper because one of the things with Ontario, it's not just the age of the roster, which we talked about before, but it's the right. inexperience where over half of the players, especially at forward, are first-year pros. And San Jose kind of had the same thing. They had they have uh, about half of their forwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very comparable. So for the first time, they were playing a team that wasn't as, you know, or they didn't offer a lot of experience. So it was very comparable on paper and things were trending in the right direction. We had talked to our sources inside the organization on, I believe it was Thursday of last week and everything, everybody was saying, yeah, Turcotte is going to travel with the team and he's going to be playing this weekend. So that would have been a real shot in the arm for them as well. They had been playing with 11 forwards and seven D. So to get Turcotte back, who had been one of their better players when he was in the lineup was going to, was going to be helpful. But, uh, things did not go as planned or as expected in any way in San Jose uh, on, on the first game, they got off to a 3 nothing, uh, 3-0 uh, head start. Aiden Dudas, who had been largely playing on the fourth line, bumped up to the top line, scores a goal immediately. That's great. Uh, they added a couple more goals. They were up 3 nothing after the first period. Second period, whew, second period, uh, <laughs> San Jose comes back, scores four unanswered goals. They're now leading 4-3. Robleski uh, swapped his goalies out and put in... Uh, J.F. Berube. I mean, he just doesn't have a lot of bullets at that point. You know, he's yeah. he's he's uh, he's undermanned, if you will. And so he says, OK, I'm going to try to swap out the goalies. And so he puts Berube in. Berube has a solid third period. The rain get two power plays, but only come up with seven shots on goal. And that was eye popping because the one thing that has been consistent with this rain team all year, regardless of the score, they have outshot their opponents sometimes by wide margins, but they have consistently outshot their opponents. And when they were trailing 4-3, heading into the third period, and only were able to muster seven shots, with, including with two power plays, that was like, hmm, interesting. Let's put a pin in that and see if that continues. And sure enough, I would largely say that their play in, in the second half of that first game continued into the third game, and excuse me, the second game, and mm-hmm. things got worse. They were outshot badly uh on on the uh the sunday game the second game they were outshot like 48 to 20 i believe 46 saves from uh jf berube he basically i mean he shut the door and uh he did everything that he could he just didn't get any offensive support and berube who did already have a fight uh i think he (laughs) had a fight with the bakersfield condors he was ready to to throw down in the game as well so frustrations might be starting to reach a boiling point with this team db and and you have to wonder is Kapari going to get back there? That was the original plan for him to play on Wednesday. Is Turcotte going to be ready on Wednesday? Uh, it's a big game for them on Wednesday, not only because they desperately need a win, Dennis, but they're playing their biggest rival uh, in the San Diego goals. Yes, John, it's raining losses in Ontario, but um, that aside. Okay. Uh, but John, so give some context, though. though I, I want to give you an opportunity to, because the fans who are going nuts right now and I just, you know, you, you and I just, you know, we spar with each other. It's, it's, it's all good. But can you give some context to say when you say that the organization thought that things were trending in the right direction? What was trending? What, what were positive signs up until this weekend? So the first eight games, what improved over from game one to game eight that in talking to your guys, they could see? Fewer mistakes is really the easiest way to put it. So what would happen again, I mentioned them out shooting the other team. So when you're out shooting the other team, your, your system is working and guys are where they're supposed to be and they're they're and they're, and they're, they're being effective. Right. But then what, what's happening is when you have this many rookies in the lineup and you just take, take the Kings, for example, what happens when you put a rookie in on defense, like a Mikey Anderson, right. And he makes a mistake in the game. He makes one mistake, but because the, the, the rest of the team um, can, can overcome that mistake. It right. doesn't end up costing them wins. So let's, let's, not, uh, let's not, well, let, let's just put it this way. The younger players that are in the Kings lineup this year, they're making mistakes too. Like, you know, a bunch of praise yes. has been heaped upon Austin Strand and Bjornfoot and Anderson and Clegg and all these guys, but they've made mistakes also. It's just that those mistakes haven't cost them because there's enough experience on the team to overcome that. Sure. But imagine if you take... Because if young players make mistakes, right? Now, imagine if you have eight forwards out of your 12 that are very inexperienced forwards and they all make one mistake in a game, okay? 
That's eight right. mistakes you have to overcome. And so that's really what sure that's that's what was happening in the first, you know, uh, set of first part of the season here was that the team was doing a lot of things. Well, you'd watch the game and they would do a lot of things. Great. Um, but then they would just make that, that mistake once or twice sure. and okay. they weren't able to overcome that. And then teams that are more experienced, right. Which is what they were facing teams that had more AHL experience. They know right. how to capitalize. They know how to make you pay for those mistakes and they were making them pay for those mistakes. Uh, and it, there also wasn't a consistent theme within the mistakes. And so that's also a positive as well. So you're making right. mistakes, but you know, you make ABC mistake and you fix it. Well, next game you make DEF. Okay. Well then you have to fix that, but you're, you're not making ABC anymore. Right. This, this is going to be like a weird connection, but McClellan said something interesting the other day about uh, Tobias Bjornfoot. And the question was about, Hey, is one of the things that's exciting about Toby, the fact that the gap between his worst game and his best game that it's rather minimal so in other words he's very consistent you know what you're going to get and he said yeah that's great that that gap is small but what you want is you want for the high side for the ceiling to keep moving up and for him to keep improving and when he's moving up and the ceiling's going up you want the floor to move along with him so as he's getting sure. better the gap stays in right in the same size yeah. you know yeah. relatively small and so it's kind of the same thing uh with ontario if you kind of can can apply that type of a lesson here sure. that uh, the, the, the mistakes, the gap, the difference between them winning and losing was rather small up until this weekend. So very disappointing uh, what happened there and curious to see how they're going to be able to rebound. I mean, look, things are so out of control and they're trying to push whatever buttons they can. Marcus Phillips, who had been the seventh defenseman, he slotted in as the left wing, uh, you know, the, on the fourth line. So, uh, look, if I wouldn't surprise me one bit if at this point, if Robleski just threw his arms in the air and, and, Kiel Thomas gets his wish and he gets to start on defense because they've they've pushed every other button that they can and it's just to be expected. These are very young players and uh, it'll be very interesting though, as I said, because uh, Wednesday I think is a very important game. You don't want to say it's a must-win game uh, because all of these games right now are about evaluation and development, and that's why guys like Brett Sutter are further down the line sure. lineup and they're not getting right. more minutes because they're trying to let you know, Byfield play as many minutes as possible and, and, and all these kids play as many minutes as they possibly can. But uh, some, something's going to have to change here to sort of get the ship righted. And uh, hopefully it'll happen on Wednesday night against San Diego. Yeah, but that's a great explanation, John, that you can't explain in two tweets. Like, that's why I gave you the stage here to, to explain, like, Thanks. what is getting better and, and just more context and more length to it. Because it, you, can't, you can't do it 280 characters times two. So uh, the fans out there that, that want an answer, there's a... Can't get a better answer than that one, to be honest with you. I appreciate that, DB. On the other side, uh, why don't we bring in Jared Stoll? Obviously, a lot of success with the organization. We'll uh, we'll go back in time to when things were much better here in Los Angeles, and he is playing, you know, a key role in the development of some of these uh, younger players. Instrumental, really, in what's happening in Ontario as well, putting his fingerprints all over the organization. So after the break, we'll talk with Jared. What's he doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio, I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system in the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealer. See dealer for details. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast. And I'm going to tell you, our guest for the second period, we've been talking about this for quite some time, so it's good to bring him into the program now. Jared Stoll, uh, I'm going to say this. Strollsy, how you doing? <laughs> Henry at Staples Center would be uh, would be really happy that you just called me Strollsy right now. He, we, we, we talked about it the other day, actually, and he was he was giving it to me. All the, all the grief that I got from him just 
calling me by the wrong name. But <laughs> was, thanks for having me on, finally, right? Yes. I, it's, I'm glad you remember the story, actually, because uh, I was going to ask you to set it up, and it would have been a terrible uh, first question to have you tell a story that you didn't remember. But yes, <laughs> always always get a good uh, a good laugh out of old Strolzy. Um, so yeah. there you go. Hey, um, look, we, the timing of this is a little bit off because we were originally hoping to have you on prior to the series or one of the series against Minnesota, um, just because I think a lot of people forget you actually spent time with the Minnesota Wild. So, um, mm-hmm. and the reason why that's, I guess, funny to me is uh, I, I remember the look on your face. I don't know if you remember this, but it was the outdoor game and uh, it, in Minnesota. So I'm there the the day before because it was a big a big game with a lot of the the older guys, Madonna and Chelios and and all Jr. I mean, it was it was fantastic right, yeah. alumni game. Yeah. And then uh, the Wild have practice. And I walk into the locker room and the look on your face, it was sort of like, uh, it was like when a cat runs into a sliding glass door and they just don't know what, it's like you knew the face, but you didn't know what, what I was doing in Minnesota. What the hell are you doing there? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the Minnesota series is over. Um, And look, I'm not, let's just start there. I don't want to put anybody on blast, but uh, the end of the game, there there was a, a mental malfunction, let's call it that, by a couple of players there in overtime and, and letting uh, you know, forgetting their defensive responsibilities. My question is, when you were playing, I mean, this, this, this happens periodically. When you were playing, do you remember a time where maybe somebody made those mental mistakes late in the game? And, and if so, what's it like uh, on the plane ride home? You know, do, do, do guys talk to them about it? Do they just ignore it? Is it like an elephant in the room and it creates an awkward silence? What's it like after that? Well, first of all, it, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's ha- it happened to me a lot over the course of my career. Just, uh, you know, you get, you lose focus, uh, concentration, whatever it is, uh, for a split second, maybe not even a second. And, uh, whether it's puck watching or, you know, we're seeing it a lot now with, with our younger guys in the organization too. Just, you know, D zone coverage, making sure we have the right reads, responsibilities, um, our check being on the right side of our, our opposition pretty much. Um, but no, they, they know when they make a mistake and they, they know when they, you know, we're on the wrong side or, or maybe bad angle, bad body position. They know, and they don't need to be told. I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if you're a younger player, uh, coming up, you need to show them video and, and why, what's the purpose of this. That's the, that's the one word I think we use a lot, uh, in player development with our young guys is, is purpose, you know, cause sometimes they don't know why we're telling them to do something a certain way. Or explaining them to, to, hey, no, do it this way. Well, why? You know, and, mm-hmm. and some of them ask why and some of them don't. But, you know, it's our jobs to, uh, to make sure they do it right um, for what we believe in and what, uh, as an organization, how we want these guys to play. But, the, they, you know, the guys, they know. They know for sure. I don't think any, anything was, was said, to be honest with you. And, and the whole why thing is quite a change, right? I mean, when you were coming up, it, there wasn't a lot of uh, why. It just, you did it because the coach yeah. told you, right? It's a different time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Sometimes, you know, guys, whether they're coming from college or junior um, or we're, at, you know, minor hockey, the U.S. development program, wherever, um, you know, they've done things a certain way, their way or, um, you know, and then they come here and it's, it's one of those things where maybe it's different and they just want to know why. And they've been very outspoken in the past and, and they want to learn, too. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to, to ask questions. And it's actually, you know, a lot better than just nodding your head and, and going to do it. It actually gives them... Um, you know, gives them some conversation, I guess, as to, to why and how and, you know, what's what's going on and why am I doing this? So it's uh, it's been great so far. Obviously, you had a very successful career. We'll get into it throughout the conversation here today. But I'm curious if you've thought back at all to when you were a younger player and you were breaking in. Do you wish that the environment maybe might have been a little bit different and maybe that you would have had an opportunity to ask those why questions and would it have sped your development along instead of having to sort of learn things the hard way, uh, you know, along the road? hundred percent. Yeah. No, there was no, um, you know, I came into the league in 2003, so there wasn't much player development going on in, in the league at all. Uh, especially with, you know, Edmonton Oilers when I came, where I came in, um, there wasn't, you know, we had a rookie camp, but there wasn't really any specific player development, you know, coaches, um, taking us on the ice before practice or after practice, working on little fundamentals, whether it's wall play, puck protection, face offs, um, you know, just little things like that, you know, edges, skating, shooting, breaking down your shot. Um, you just kind of went out there and shot the puck and <laughs> played hockey. Um, so, you know, and then later on in my career, I, I wish I would have 
not taking it more seriously, but, but put in extra work with, uh, you know, for example, puck protection and wall play, little things like that. Um, you know, my hands, my shooting, you know, things that I needed to work on um, and things that the younger kids coming into the organization were already working on with the player development guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one thing, you know, at the start of my career, you look at it that way. And then at the end of my career, you know, wishing I would have done things a little bit different and maybe it would have, maybe I would have played an extra year or two, who knows. But, um, you know, now, now the game has changed so much and these, these young players are coming in and they're, they're already so skilled, but they've been working on specific parts of their game for years, which is great. Right now, obviously, there there's quite a bit of talk. Uh, the struggles the Ontario Reign are having. They've only won one game. We're recording this on, on Monday after a, a pretty dismal two-game series that they had up in San Jose. Um, can you just talk about how important the development process is and maybe so, what, what some of the um, younger kids are in, that are you know that are struggling right now um, just because of lack of experience? That That's my take on it it's not it's not about age yeah. uh because you can come into the league into the american league as a college player and as a junior player with two at two different ages so for me it's not about age it's about inexperience and not having games played yeah. as a pro well just not knowing how to win right now um you know I, I think i counted last night in our game um and it's not an excuse at all it's i think there was eight first year pro players and you're right whether they're you know 18 or 22 it doesn't it's pro and it's different to play against guys that are maybe six eight maybe even 10 years older than you um that's a huge difference from guys coming from junior where they're playing maybe against guys you know a year or two and mm-hmm. that's it older than older than them but yeah it's it is an experience uh they just got to find ways to win games and not find ways to, to lose the games and that's kind of what's been happening they've had you know, the, the, the guys have had leads over the course of some games, um, some big leads, and they just kind of let them slip away and just learning valuable lessons, huge lessons um, in the first 10 or so games um, that they've played. Uh, all these guys, you can just see them learning as they go, as the games go, as the practices go, just what it's like to be a pro, how detailed you need to be. I think that's the one thing that, that these guys are learning probably the most. Um, I'll use that word, just detailed with, with whether it's the system or, you know, power play stuff, penalty kill stuff, whether your stick is in the wrong position, it should be on the left side of your body and not the right side of your body. And, you know, people may think I'm crazy by saying that, but it's, it's two feet and, you know, the puck is the size that it is. It doesn't take much to get through, you know, whether it's a steam pass on the, on the penalty kill and it's in the back of your net, little things like that, being organized, being prepared, being accountable, all those things, all those words that, uh, being a good pro, I think represents, and they're learning that right now. And unfortunately, they're learning it by losing some games. But I think in the long run, it'll be um, these lessons are going to be, you know, taken and taken seriously, and will will help them. In the grand scheme of things, the the win loss record of the Ontario Reign does not matter much this year, right? It's about year two, year three, year four, year five, et cetera. And you know, Byfield, as an example, his career is not going to be defined by what happens over the first twenty games. But at what point? Does losing start to become a problem? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, you don't want you don't want these these kids to get in that not mindset, but it's like not get into you know the habit of of just kind of losing some games and they're, and they're all right with it. You know that's and that's not what's happening. But you you just don't want that to ever ever set in because it's not okay for for any game at any point in the season, whether it's preseason or not, to to lose the game, but. Um, you know, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, for now, as long as they're, they're, you can see them developing and getting better and, and learning. Um, but you know, I don't know if I could answer that. It's, uh, you know, it's a tough one, tough one to answer, to be honest. All right, let's, let's switch gears. Let's talk more about you. And I had this at the bottom of my list. I wanted to ask about it, but I'm, I'm afraid that we'll eventually run out of time. And I wanted to ask you about it. Someone has insert it now. And that is the passing of Joey Moss. I know that you would put some stuff out there mm-hmm. on social media. And um, I'm just not sure that maybe people in Southern California or, or, you know, really outside of Edmonton can appreciate how much he meant to that organization. Um, just can you, can you spend just a little you know, minute or two and, and talk about Joey yeah. and your relationship with him? Yeah, he was a, he was a special special young man. He um, when I first got to Edmonton, he was just he was one of the first guys that greeted me in the locker room, and he was just just always happy, in a good mood. For a guy that never put on skates, never skated on on the ice at Rexall or the old Northlands Coliseum, where 
so many Stanley Cups were won, um, and he was probably one of the most important people in the organization and and within the city. Like he was so he was so famous in that city for all the things that he did, not just uh, you know in the Oilers organization, but all the charities that he supported and all the charities that he helped, the people he helped. Um, you know, he we would take him with us for you know whether it was for pregame meal or on, on off days we would go bowling or we would go we would. <laughs> All of us would go into Canadian Tire. We buy a bunch of sleds, and then we would go tobogganing on <laughs> on some of the, the local little hills in Edmonton. And he would love it. He was just he was he was part of the boys. He was, uh, you know, he was he was he would just always keep a light in the dressing room. Um, he's, whether he's folding towels, and we would go and mess up all the towels, so he'd have to refold them or unplug the vacuum cleaner when he was when he was vacuuming, and he wouldn't know where the heck it was coming from or who did it or. You know, we'd always have wrestling matches with him because he was a huge wrestling fan and, you know, had a had a real WWE um, belt. I forget who gave it to him, but Triple H maybe, I think, gave it to him. Um, so he had a real belt, which he was really, really proud of. So we, we had matches all the time. And some guys would win, some guys would uh, lose. You know, you let him, let him keep the belt for as long as possible and then take it away from him. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just very, you know, it was awesome to bring the team together and uh, he was in the center of it all to be honest with you so um you know it's too bad we couldn't celebrate his life the way he should be celebrated um in a time like this but hopefully there'll be a, a chance to do that but uh yeah just an awesome awesome guy and and i remember um really the first time that i became aware of how big of a deal he was actually it was through penner so when we, after pens had been oh, yeah. traded here yeah. and we made those pennermania shirts pens wanted to get one because on the first trip back to edmonton he wanted to take a pennermania shirt and give it to yeah. joey and and when he told me it was for joey and i just like oh okay cool you know i i didn't know what he was talking about and then he was yeah. uh, he was like offended that i didn't know who joey moss was and so uh <laughs> pens of course wanted to give me a quick education about you know how important this guy was and you know that was what 10 years ago so uh quite some yeah. time ago and, and and to see all the tributes for joey was it, it was pretty impressive uh well that's a, that's the one thing is whenever you came in as a visiting team you know with another team he would be the one of the first ones him and sparky one of the other trainers um he'd be the first one to come over to the the visiting locker room and say hi and how you doing and you know what's going on and give you a little jab here or there he was always the, the first one you saw when you came back into in Edmonton, into into the ranks, you come over and say hi. So that was uh, that just says says a lot right there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hopscotching around different things. So we see you on the broadcast now. Everybody talks about your notebook, but what about that bobblehead, uh, that Jared Stoll bobblehead that is there over your shoulder? <laughs> I mean, a lot of cool things that have happened to you in life, but getting your own bobblehead. And I'm not talking about the one where you pay seventy five dollars and they make one for you. I'm talking about like you know other people produce them in mass. That's that's pretty cool to have your own bobblehead. Well, I might be the only one out there, but uh, I don't know who got that for me. It might have been my my family found it online or something like that and got it for me. But yeah, I, have, I don't even I haven't even seen one before, and it might be the only one. I'm not gonna lie to you, but uh, yeah, it's kind of cool, I guess cool that it has the cup with it you know yeah for Different. sure for sure i don't know why it caught my eye a few a few games ago and i just started laughing <laughs> like wow all these uh all these great mementos and there's there's his bobblehead as well i, I might have to start putting little, little different little things behind me there and see what to, see what people notice or don't notice i might have to start doing that oh there you go inspired by today's conversation uh <laughs> yeah let, let's talk about face-offs um and this isn't specific to gabe velarde but of course you know whenever we think face-offs I, at least i do i think back to some of a comments earlier in the year but the, the my, my question isn't specifically about him but about some of the stuff that was discussed and that is can you learn face-offs is it something that you can work on uh which todd believes or is it something that's more innate which is maybe something that, that gabe believes just what's your you know what are some of your theories on face-offs as the quote-unquote face-off expert in the organization oh well, i think i definitely think you can get better and improve um you know you got to work at it and it's all about reps it's, it's it's like with a lot of things, especially the, a lot of the things that teaching the kids coming to the organization. Again, I'll kind of go back to that because that's, that's basically what I do. And it's all about reps. It's getting more and more comfortable with, with situations. And if you're not comfortable doing it, you know, a thousand times, is going to make you more comfortable and, and more uh, you, you'll want to do it that, that way and make more comfortable doing it that way in, in a practice and then in a game. So yeah, you got to just you got to work at it. Whether it's it's timing, um, you know, hand-eye coordination, technique, um, going against another teammate one-on-one. It's it's things that 
those are things that I think you can, how you can get better and improve. And, and there's a lot of things to it. Like for technique, for instance, there's probably, you know, 10 different things that I could you know, off the top of my head that I could, uh, I could name. And that's, you don't want to throw all of it at once to the, some of these guys, but it's a gradual process and, um, and they all need to learn it. And everybody, everybody needs to learn it. Kopi and Karts have taken face off their whole career and, you know, maybe they don't need as many reps as, as younger players do, but, but they still work on it and it's, um, they still take a lot of pride in it. So if you're a younger player coming in, it's all about reps. It's all about details. Like we talked about earlier with becoming a pro and watching video and watching your opposition before games. Like, you know, I would watch the centerman who I'm going to face before games. It's like, it's like knowing the goaltender who you're going to face before that game and, and watching video on him or, or, you know, in the shootout, see what he does or doesn't do in the shootouts. And I, I would do the same thing with centermen who I'm going to face. So those are things that, that these guys need to learn to do and not only take the reps in practice or after practice, but, you know, just the preparation like that. It's, yeah, for sure. You can definitely learn and get better and improve. Do you, would you still watch the tape of a centerman that you've faced, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times because maybe he's changed or do guys not really change? Like uh, for a Kopitar, I mean, is Kopitar basically the same guy that he always was in terms of taking face off? So if you're the opposition, you know, and you've faced him for five years, is there really any point in still watching him or no guys change? Uh, Some guys do. Some guys don't. Yeah. Like, like a guy like Kopi or Karts, they've, they've pretty much taken him the same way their whole career and they've been successful at it. Like, you know, mid fifties, uh, their whole career, which is great. But, um, yeah, some guys do change a little bit. Like some guys brought their, brought their foot into, into play now when they take face off, they slide their foot in there, which is, which is hard to, to go against. But, um, that was something I watched a lot of video on when guys started changing that way. Um, some guys come over the top of your stick, some guys go underneath. Um, but for the most part, guys take them the same way unless, unless they're really struggling and they'll change something up. But that's, that's another thing why I would watch the videos. If they changed it up, what did they, what did they do? What, what did they go to? So little things like that. Let's ask some pride related questions. What, what type of, uh, feelings does it stir up or how do you react or feel when you hear people say things like in order for the Kings to take the next step, they're going to have to make a green and stole type trade where they import some, some character and some leadership. What does that mean to you? Oh, (laughs) well, it's, it's nice to hear that sometimes. And it's, um, you know, coming here, getting traded here was, was one of the best things in my life to, you know, to happen that way and to, help the team win. Um, but there's a lot of character in this organization, a lot of character, uh, young players, old players, you know, guys that are in the middle, that kind of that middle core that are going to eventually bring everything together. That's kind of what we had in Edmonton. We had a great, great leadership core, older, older group of guys. And then we had, uh, you know, kind of the middle group, you know, that kind of, I think brought everything together pretty much and just uh, became a close team because of it. And then we, that's exactly what we had here in LA. So, uh, we have those players. We for sure do. And that's up to management to, to see how that goes moving forward. And, you know, just um, committed to the process, really. Just committed to the plan, to the process, and see where it goes. And if you need to do tweaks here or there down the road, you do it. But um, there's a lot of a lot of character in the organization right now. So I don't I don't know what uh, what we need in that regard, but uh, it'll all, pan itself, all play itself out. All right. You look into the locker room with the Ontario Reign, or not in the Ontario Reign, excuse me. He's now up with the big club. Uh, you look and you see Anderson Dolan wearing 28. It's not an accident. It is by design. What, what type of pride or, or what, you know, what do you feel or what do you see when you see a player like that who I know you took a special interest in a couple of years ago and you see him wearing 28? Does it mean anything to you? Uh, yeah, it does. It's, it's great to, first of all, see a, a number 28 down there on the ice and, uh, and playing well and scoring goals and, and, uh, you know, breaking out as a young player, um, or breaking in, I guess you could say, whatever, however you want to say it. But, um, yeah, he's a great kid. He's, he always has been from the second he was drafted and got into this, uh, into this organization, just how serious he is and how much of a pro he is. And a lot of the things that, you know, guys need to learn by coming into the, into the league right now, they can learn from, from Jared. So, um, yeah, just a, a great young man and, and learning a lot. Um, so happy for him the way he was playing and unfortunately got hurt and I know he's working his way uh, way back he's working hard to get back in the lineup as soon as possible but it's uh, yeah it's great to see not only my number down there but him wearing it for sure 
people talk about Stanley Cups and things like that, but you also had a very successful junior career that people, you know, uh, in the lower 48, as they say, probably aren't too familiar with. A couple of WHL championships, Memorial Cup run, you eventually end up in the in the Hall of Fame up there. Um, what, what do you take from your junior career as being the high point? Uh, well, team-wise, for sure, the winning the Memorial Cup. Um, we went there twice. The first first time we went there, we uh, we didn't win a game. We learned a lot. Um, you know what it took to you, know, you face other you know other teams from other leagues that that are the champions of their league, and it, it's tough. You go through four rounds of, of best sevens within your own league, and then you then you go to the Memorial Cup, which is you know the three other leagues bring their teams there, and it's uh, it's a battle. So we learned a lot the first time, and then. Then we won it in 2002, so that was that was great. And you know, the team I played for was the Kootenay Ice, and it was in a small town called Cranbrook, British Columbia, and just a great little junior town. Uh, they loved their hockey. It was, you know, if you wanted entertainment for the night. There was basically you could go watch the hockey game, and and we would try to provide it. And we had good teams there, so it was a it was a lot of fun those years to just win, right? Yeah, you, you play the game to win and win championships, and uh, you know, when you do that, it's it's all fun. Being drafted twice, you know, by two different NHL clubs, is that something that you sort of get a chuckle out of or, or you don't really think much about it? Uh, yeah, I laugh about it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's an interesting story. Not, not, uh, not many stories like it, I guess. But um, being drafted twice in the second round, almost exact same number pretty much within, <laughs> within eight or ten. And the fact that Calgary had the pick right before Edmonton, you know, they go, man, am I going to go to Calgary again? Twice? <laughs> I wonder if that's that ever happened. I wonder if the same team has ever drafted the same player twice. That's a, that's a good question. Look that up. Bud. You got some <laughs> time have, on your hands. I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> uh, let's see. What about... Uh, winning, right? I mean, obviously you had a lot of success. We just talked about it at the junior level and then you're, and you're winning Stanley Cups in the NHL and things like that. But uh, I, I've told the story many times that before the uh, game up in Vancouver where you scored the big overtime goal, the day before uh, when you were getting ready to travel, you and I were chatting and, and you were you were chirping saying, hey, when is Jared Stoll scores a, a goal day? And lo and behold, you go up to Vancouver and you score the overtime winner. So there it was. It was you know, you called your shot. It was Stoll, scores a goal day. Um, is that the goal that is the most satisfying in your career uh yeah probably yeah just you know the organization hadn't won a playoff series in a little while so i think once you once you get over that hump um especially the the hump that it was playing against vancouver who were the president's trophy winners and favorites pretty much at that at that time i think they went I think they lost to Boston the year before in the finals in Game Seven, if I'm not mistaken. So they've been they were there before, and kind of ready to do it again. So yeah, that was that was pretty cool to just how we played as a team. Obviously that whole run, but um, on a personal level, yeah, for a goal um, individually, that was probably the one that meant the most for sure. All right, two final ones to wrap it up, and thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Uh, hatred of other teams. They're, they're, Long debate. Uh, Dowdy has weighed in and said that while the fans in Southern California or L.A. specifically, while they believe that uh, the Anaheim Ducks are their biggest rival, he has the most hatred um, for the San Jose Sharks. And I know at one time there was a lot of hatred for Vancouver. So back in your playing days, who was the team? When you were a member of the Kings, who did you really hate? Um, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with Drew. It's already be boring here, but it's Vancouver and then San Jose, San Jose kind of later on when we, we played them, uh, I think three different, three different rounds in the playoffs and losing in game six at home when Anze got hurt. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, and then the two, um, that we beat them, um, the other times, but yeah, probably them. They just, it was such a battle with them. Um, it was never easy. They had some players that were pretty annoying and, in the Vancouver side of things, they had some players that were pretty annoying to play against. But uh, you know, in their own right, those those annoying players were good players, and they were, you know, those are the types of guys you you know the whole thing you want you want those guys on your team and not playing against them. So that's just why they were they were good teams, and because they had annoying players, good players <laughs> to to battle against. 
All right. And the final question then has to do with Matt Green. Um, we could probably do a whole podcast with Matt Green stories. Um, I was waiting for a greener question. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think I've told you this before that, uh, that, that, that Greener threatened me one time when he gave me his phone number. He gave me his number, his cell number, but told me never to use it or he would kill me. So, of course, I probably have never used it or I think maybe only once. But my point is that he just has such a different sense of humor or had, I should say. Um, I always laugh about the time, too, when he told me that. Uh, I was collecting Halloween pictures uh, from from the Halloween parties, and he he told me he didn't he had a great costume, but he didn't have any pictures. And when I asked him why, he said he didn't need them because he was there. So, which is such a Matt <laughs> such a Matt Green comment. Um, so I can imagine walking into his house now, and he's married, and this whole thing, and there's no pictures anywhere. But my question is just, you know, Greener's now retired. He's several years away from the game. He was scouting and doing a bunch of different things. Has he um, has he softened up a little bit in his uh let's call it as, as he's gotten older or is greener still greener greener is definitely still greener um there's maybe a little maybe some little bit more serious moments now than, the, than there used to be with greener but no once once he gets telling stories and uh and laughing and his big big huge uh belly laugh that he does and he just keeps he can keep a story going um for <laughs> minutes and minutes and sometimes almost hours but uh, we have we have a lot of fun in our development office. Me, Greener, and, and Sean O'Donnell. We're kind of we're here on a daily basis and going over video and talking about players and talking about the team. And then uh, then we'll totally get off off topic for a little bit. And Greener will start. And then we'll <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun in our room. But uh, you know we have fun, but we work hard and we know why we're uh, we know why we're a part of the organization and to get everybody better and and committed to the process. But no, Greener, he's still he's still Greener. For sure. Now, back in the day, the, uh, there was, of course, the big debate. Uh, Greener would always tell me that he's funnier, and then Penner would always tell me that he's funnier. So we'll ask you, because you spent a lot of times, I, I think they all lived together, like on a cul-de-sac or something up in Edmonton, right? And you spent time there, so uh, or in a basement or something. I forget. It was a long time ago. But who, who's funnier, Penner or Greener? Well, I got I to go with my guy, Greener. Penn's okay. is... Pens is way more sarcastic, I think. Yes. Greener's got that that dry sense of humor, but um, yeah, when they lived together, it was that was when Guitar Hero was kind of <laughs> at the top and just came out, or like, people would play Guitar Hero like they, uh, they do the video games now. With uh, what's the video game called? The most popular one there, I don't even know. Fortnite. Um, Fortnite, yeah, stuff okay. like that. But Guitar Hero was, was those guys would play it all night long. And they, <laughs> they would just crush each other and beat each other so it was uh yeah it was a lot of fun to watch those guys go at it with the guitar but um yeah i gotta go with my boy greener on that one all right someday some you're gonna have to help me here someday we'll get him on the podcast uh and and we'll ha- we'll get him talking but uh you're gonna have to help me work yeah. on him okay i'll try i'll try my best it'll be a battle but i'll try <laughs> yes, it, will, it will be a battle <laughs> for sure strolzy it was outstanding i appreciate you coming in spending some time uh love the work that you're doing happy that you're part of the uh the organization and and helping whip the kids into shape and it'll be fun once we get to the other side of this and seeing uh seeing how it all turns out as the years unfold exactly for sure thanks for having me john all right we'll talk to you later on this on the other side of the break we'll talk more about that we'll be back in a minute Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, welcome back, third period, and absolutely a huge thank you to Jared Stoll. Uh, as we said there at the top of the interview, been meaning to have him on the program for quite some time, and it's always good to catch up with Stoley, Dennis. Absolutely. Great, great one-on-one. I love what you do to one-on-ones. That was great. And just again, a guy who was essential to the two championships and now helping develop the next championship team here in Los Angeles. Yes, he is. He certainly is hoping to be part of the uh, the group that eventually one day raises a third cup for the L.A. Kings. Uh, Dennis, for them to ever win a third cup, there are some things they're going to have to work on. And uh, why don't we just take a brief moment before we look ahead? And why don't we just look back? Uh, the last program was right in the middle of the winning streak and um, things ended with a little bit of a thud there in Minnesota with uh, two straight losses. Yeah, but a huge point on 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 Saturday night. 
Uh, yeah, one bold play. Adrian Kempe needed that goal, John. I don't care if it mm-hmm. was power play. Uh, his five-on-five five play hasn't been good. He got demoted to the quote-unquote third line because he wasn't uh, as right wing as because he wasn't producing on the left wing. But he really needed that. And that look down three nothing, John. Uh, last season, warm up the bus. You lost two in Minnesota, so the fans mm-hmm. to come back and win that, not win, and to tie that game and walk away. And look. It's tough to lose with 0.3 seconds to go. Again, the team doesn't finish against Minnesota. I don't know what it is, John. For some reason, they can't finish games against Minnesota. But that that was – okay, it was a heroic point because, like I said, last season, two seasons ago, there's no way. that That's 5-6-1 that game, maybe. Mm-hmm. So come back, even at three, and almost get to a shootout. That's, that's impressive for this team. That's a character builder. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know what was said between the first and second period of that game. Certainly the start was not what they expected, but for them to claw back into that, uh, I mean, you, you said it right there, Dennis. It's it's pretty unbelievable because uh, the last game of a six-game road trip, you know, right. every yeah. a lot of other teams would have just mailed it in, and they, and they decided four not one, to. John. It's like, okay, we're 4-2. and two. That's okay. We'll sign for mm-hmm. that. So to come back 4-1-1 one one was just, that was impressive. That tells you that this team has made strides inside the season. I think it also shows that they understand the importance of that game, because if that was a game against an Eastern conference club, like a Tampa Bay or something, right. Then, then it's different. This is a division game and those points are so important. Um, I think that they understand sort of the gravity of the situation. It does. It it did show a lot of character. Uh, It's unfortunate. They're about to have some defensive lapses by a couple of veterans there with a, a few seconds remaining in the game and to allow it to slip away. Who knows what would have happened in the shootout? Maybe they still would have lost in the shootout. That's not the point. The point is it never should have ended in overtime. They needed to just play defense there for the final couple of seconds and let it get to the let it get to the shootout. Uh, but hey, four one and one, you move on. You turn the page. I wrote about it on mayorsmanner.com this morning. There's you know some quotes from Kempe, and it's about looking forward. And Dennis, I think when you look forward, I think it's time to pivot because coming into the season, a lot of talk on this program and on Twitter about Minnesota was the team that the Kings had their eye on because the top three positions in the West were expected to be. Uh, in no particular order, Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado. And right. then there was a multi-team race, including the Kings in Minnesota, perhaps Arizona, who were going for that fourth spot. And it look, uh, I think Minnesota is 30 and 10 under their new head coach. So yes. uh, you know, they're projecting out at like 94 points or something. Um, this is a team that they're starting to have hopes and dreams of more than just the fourth spot meaning the Minnesota Wild. And so you'll really see where the Wild are here in the next uh, nine games or so, because I think five of their next nine games are against Arizona, which means they're either going to create some separation between themselves and the teams that are fighting fourth, or they're going to come back to the pack. But for now, it looks like the Kings might want to keep their eye on the St. Louis Blues and their eight-game series with St. Louis. They already are three and one against St. Louis. The Kings are going to have this uh, makeup game that's a postponed game, rearranged game, whatever you want to call it, against the Coyotes on Wednesday. And then they're going to face two with the Blues. I think this is a tough stretch right here, DB. Yeah, uh, the Coyotes have to be thinking revenge right now. Yeah. yeah. And the St. Louis, St. Louis is going to play defense like they did against San Jose the other night where they won seven to six. Right? Bennington's taking swings at players coming off the ice. That was they crazy. have flaws. And, and the Kings play well against St. Louis. I think even the last couple of seasons, they haven't been run out of games by St. Louis. This is a team that it may be coming down to St. Louis. And I mean, it's always going to shift, right, John? Because, mm-hmm. but, but right now, I agree with you. You're probably going to target St. Louis as opposed to Minnesota. They're not playing as well. They have challenges defensively. Um, they certainly mix at Alex Paterangelo and Tory Krug's no replacement. So, yeah, there's opportunities. So these are these are important games for them this weekend. It's very difficult, Dennis, when you take a player out of your lineup like that, not only because he right. he was eating important minutes on the on the blue line, but as the captain of the team and the face right. of the franchise. I, I think it's one of those situations where when that type of a player leaves an organization, it creates this vacuum where people don't really know the identity of the team. And while on paper, you would think that the identity of the St. Louis Blues hasn't changed very much. I would argue that the identity has changed quite a bit when a player like Petrangelo leaves the organization. Yeah. They're not winning games 3-2-2-1. Two, two, They're winning games 7-6. That's not their DNA. They can't keep mm-hmm. that. That's not sustainable, John. And it's a do- like you said, it's a domino effect. And so who's going to step up? Who's- and they have some, you know, David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly. This is not some bum team. Don't, don't get me wrong. But the, it's a 
it's a very different team because of what you mentioned. It's not just 27 minutes a night. It's 27 minutes a night for a leader who helped them win a cup. Well, in those games recently on that road trip, also uh, St. Louis, they were they were uh, missing a few key players. And so, you know, if, if you're the Kings, I think you have to keep that in mind. Uh, Todd made reference to that as a point of um, comparison heading into this most recent two game series with Minnesota. And he's like, hey, don't necessarily look back at how we played against a Minnesota recently when they came to L.A. and they were, you know, going through their covid deal yeah. and everything. Like, this is a different team. And I would just argue, based upon the health and the lineup, you do not just, you, you don't want to just say, oh, it's the Blues. Look what the Kings did last week to them. No, who's healthy and who's in the lineup? Because that does make a big difference. Agreed. But, but these are games that now that you thought maybe you'd say, okay, these are going to be tough outs. Now you're saying, well, these are winnable games, especially at home. So let's see what happens. And I agree with you in the Arizona game. They're going to be looking for a little revenge. Nobody likes to get swept at home. So these are, even though they're three home games, John, they are going to be challenging games for sure. Austin Strand has been the uh, the man sitting out most nights. Do you, do you let Austin Strand uh, get back in the lineup again and potentially decapitate one of the Coyotes? <laughs> sure. That's a team you can afford to put Austin Strand in again. So, yes, I, w- I would – Potential decapitation of Moy's Forge. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dennis, one more final thing here. And Kings fans, they're having a difficult time wrapping their minds around it, but it is a great closer to this, uh, to this sort of commentary here. The Blues are in Southern California, and they're going to get two, uh, two cracks at the Anaheim Ducks before they face off with the Kings later in the week. And if you're a Kings fan and you have playoffs in mind, you need the Anaheim Ducks to win both games. So, yes, Kings fans should be cheer- cheering for the Ducks this week, Dennis. Have you watched the Ducks play? That's a big ass, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I mean, you know, you could still hope and you can you can uh, try to make it happen. But then again, like you said, the way that uh, the way that the Blues were playing defense recently, they uh, they had a heck of a game with uh, with the San Jose Sharks. So can the Anaheim Ducks, uh, you know, steal some points and help the Kings out? That'll be that'll be something to keep an eye on. And uh, boy, Twitter's going to be fun this week, Dennis. So another great program. Thank you again to Jared Stoll for coming on. And uh, DB, we'll be back later in the week and talk some more L.A. Kings hockey. Looking forward to it, Jay. Have a great week, everybody. Spitting out Only love can save me now